I have influencers, decision makers and end users that I have to engage. So, how do I determine what type of content to use for those different target audiences? I love that question. Let's ask Claire Drummond from Atlassian. Listener, you are exceptionally welcome to B2B Q&A, the podcast where we go in search of an answer to your question about B2B content writing. This is episode 107. In a few moments, Claire Drummond will tell us how Atlassian matched different kinds of content to a broad set of audiences. We'll also get copywriting tips from Matt Binney and some inclusive writing advice from Etty Bailey-King. Before all of that, though, some introductions. My name's David McGuire. I'm creative director at Radix Communications, the B2B writing agency, and I am thrilled to welcome a brilliant guest co-host for this episode. Dialing in all the way from Chicago, it's the managing director of B2B Unleashed, complex sales superfan and stakeholder whisperer par excellence, Maureen Blanford. Maureen, welcome. Always delighted to be with you all. Thanks for having me. Oh, uh, thank you for being here. So I think possibly, I have to kind of, I have to check this. Were you B2B Unleashed last time you were on here or is this new to the listener? in my last role. So this is so this is new. So I I launched B2B Unleashed um, a little over a year ago. Cool. Okay. So if it's a new idea to the listener, what is B2B Unleashed? I've got to ask that before we start. <laughs> well, and I appreciate it. Um, so kicked off as a management consultancy focused on helping B2B organizations get off legacy mountains. So we're all drowning in legacy, legacy tech legacy processes, legacy mindsets. Um, So focusing really on the gaps between product, marketing, sales, and success, um, both the the siloed humans and the siloed tech stacks, uh, and soon to be unleashing some some tech to support that, hopefully later this year. So a lot uh, to be, a lot of wins for functional area uh, leaders within B2Bs uh, to be slaying uh, if they just talk more to their compadres and other functional areas. Well, that sounds much needed. Uh, I, I can't wait to see the tech as well. Uh, Maureen, before we answer this month's question, would you mind telling the listener how they can get in touch with the show? Absolutely. You know I can. So listener, if you have any comments or suggestions, you can find Radix on LinkedIn or Twitter. Radix.com. Or if you want us to answer your question on a future episode, record a quick voice note and send it by email. Podcast at radix-communications.com. Oh, perfecto mundo. Thank you. Copywriting pro tip. Hi, Matt Binney here, freelance writer from Falmouth and Cornwall. Um, my copywriting tips are as follows. When I finish writing, I like to let it rest for a while. I go make lunch, a cup of tea, probably then another cup of tea. Um, then return with fresh eyes and improve. Always read copy out loud. Very common tip for a reason, as it's very, very effective. Um, I also like to reread copies if I was someone with sort of no knowledge on the topic or the product or service. Um, and ask myself a few questions. Does it tell me what I need to know? Would I buy? Um, and also, how I bored up my mind is always a good one, too. Matt, some things are classic for a reason and tips like that are popular because they really work. Now, who's asking the question this month? Richard Hathaway, Senior Marketing Manager at Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, asks, 
I have influencers, decision makers and end users that I have to engage. So how do I determine what type of content to use for those different target audiences? Thanks, Richard. That's something we content writers get asked a lot. So it's great to have an opportunity to answer it on the show. B2B tech in particular has lots of potential audiences and big squiggly buyer journeys. So I caught up with Atlassian's head of product marketing for Jira Software and Agile Solutions, Claire Drummond. And I started by asking her Richard's question. Just how do you figure out which content works for which audience? The best way to identify what content works for specific audiences is to ask your audience. (laughs) Um, And I think that uh, we often forget in the digital world when we're creating content that we actually can talk to customers and see what they think. So um, that's one perspective on it. Another way that I know that it's um, working for a specific audience is if there's an action that we're asking that audience to take, um, we can measure if they're actually taking that action, um, You know, whether it be to sign up for something or if it's just to read the next article or if it's just to scroll through the article. We create a lot of long-form content, and I know that it resonates uh, based off of some of those metrics. And I also have the luxury of seeing content Um, that I create resonate with a specific audience when it gets tweeted and uh, I get at mentioned on on Twitter (laughs) or on LinkedIn and it's and if I'm lucky it'll spur a pretty pretty awesome conversation in social media right so I hope that I hope that answers the question Um, it's mostly just about tracking and um, seeing if if there's a specific action that you wanted the Um, user to take and if they're taking it then you know that it's resonating and if they're not then you need to tweak the content that's interesting because your metrics that you that you track are outcome based then they're to do with the the next thing the next action rather than just traffic or something like that oh absolutely yeah i think traffic is not indicative of the success of the content itself it just shows if you've been successful at distributing that content and getting people to it. So I think that traffic is an interesting indicator for um, if your content is going to you know, rank in Google or if it's going to reach a, a wider audience, but I don't think that it's a great indicator of if the content itself resonates. Sure. And you were saying about asking your, your customers... What does that look like? I mean, do you literally call them up? Do you have a a poll? How does that work? Um, So we have a really robust community. And sometimes we will just poll the community and ask for feedback uh, on the content before we actually publish it. And people love to to get their feedback. They love to... um, you know, have be mentioned and, and they love that we ask. And so it's a nice two-way conversation. Um, and it's a nice way for us to connect with our customers and just make sure that whatever it is that we're publishing not only resonates with them, but is helpful because we like to create a lot of content that actually helps people do their jobs. Do you have a sense then of when you look at different audience groups in the different people in the decision-making unit, or maybe you've got decision makers over here and you've got budget holders over there and you've got uh, users somewhere else. 
Do you see that different kinds of content resonate for different kinds of audience? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So an example of that is uh, we we create a lot of content around agile best practices, for example. And I know that this content isn't for our primary buyers because the buyers that are purchasing our products are looking for more specific details about the actual tech specifications of the product or features. Um, they're not really looking for best practices. However, the people that are the end users of our products need the best practices because that will help them be successful with our products. So we know from talking to customers uh, that best practices are a really useful way for the end users to understand how to do Agile and how Jira can help them. But you wouldn't get a lot of tries, try clicks from that content because those aren't the buyers. Um, They're enabling it. So um, I think we, you know, we have to target different areas of the funnel with different type of content. and, uh, And that brings you closer to trying the product and being successful in the product. But it's it's far beyond just a landing page that gets you to try the product as soon as possible. Um, so we like to create content for basically every stage of the funnel, and there is a different person that will find that content useful at every stage in the funnel. Um, something that I think is unique with Atlassian is that we we think that buying our products and using our products is a team sport, and so we make sure that we're targeting the whole team and not just the buyer. I think that's really um, good advice for anyone. There's so many complex um, sales and uh, kind of distributed uh, decision-making units going on in B2B, especially in tech. Um, So when you're thinking about different stages of, of the funnel, is that always different roles at different stages of the funnel or is it sometimes one person moving through a buying journey or is there a mix of those things? I think it's a mix. Um, It can definitely be one person, uh, especially in smaller teams where they become aware of us because of maybe an ad or because we, you know, published agile best practices and they were looking to do uh, some some you know new agile rituals within their team, and they come to us, and then they end up touching all of the content through every stage of the journey until they finally try the product. Um, but I find it more common that it's multiple people who are touching the content in in the funnel. So you've got all of these people, you've got all of these buying journeys, all of these funnel stages. How do you make sure you have every angle covered? I mean, is it even possible to do that? I think it's possible. Um, and we rely really heavily on SEO research to see where there are gaps. So if you pull you know, branded keywords or associated keywords, non-branded keywords that are associated with our product, like say, you know, Scrum, boards or something like that that is related to the product but not directly. And we realize that we aren't ranking for those keywords, uh, then we I think there's an opportunity there. So we know that we should have content in this category. We know that there's a decent amount of search volume for it. 
and we are being outranked by maybe a competitor or maybe by scrum.org or something like that. So it's possible if you're looking at your um, SEO research on a regular basis to see where the gaps are and to continue to create content to fill those gaps. And sometimes it's your own content that's ranking that you didn't intend to rank for those keywords and you wanted something else to be there. You want your customers to reach something that uh, isn't, you know, accessible. Then you have to basically try and figure out how to, you know, compete against yourself and, and rank over what is there, <laughs> which we which we do a lot. Sure. <laughs> do a lot of that. I, yeah, well, that, that sounds like an interesting challenge. Um, so if the marketer that's listening to this has maybe limited resources for content or, or, you know, don't have the luxury of producing the, you know, the, the big mountains of content that, that, that you uh, can produce at Atlassian, Mm -hmm. where should they focus? Would you say, you know, is there one part of the audience or one funnel stage or or something else? Where should they start? I think that if you are just starting out and you don't have a lot of resources, I think you need to look at two areas of the funnel. One is what are you creating content around to be a thought leader in that will help customers understand the concepts that are related to either your product or whatever it is that you're trying to create a funnel for. What is that category? What does it look like from a competitive perspective? What does it look like from your own perspective? You know, what are you blogging about? And are you ranking um, for those related keywords? If you're not, who is? And I think if you look at that competitive landscape for that, that theme or subject, you can pretty quickly understand what, where you need to start developing content, the leadership content. And, and I'm talking about evergreen content that's going to stick around for a long time, not blog posts that are about what's the latest thing in the news and are going to be irrelevant in a week. Um, I don't think that's worth anybody's time if you're just starting out and you have limited resources. Um, so I would say look at that evergreen landscape and start there. And then, of course, you also need to make sure that your branded keywords are also SEO optimized and that you have links to those pages so that um, you can continue to uh, create some domain authority around um, your branded stuff because that's, that's the most critical. So I think top of funnel thought leadership content and very bottom of funnel branded keywords those are like the two places that i would focus your attention that's great that's so helpful thank you is there anything else on this topic that you wanted to say to the the listener that we haven't already covered um sure i think the only other piece of advice that i would give from a content strategy perspective is you know if you only have 10 chips (laughs) and you (laughs) you need to figure out you know where's the best bet make sure that it's what is the most useful for your customers and not the most useful for you. Because if you create content that is useful for your customers, you will always uh, reap the benefits of that versus what you think you want to write about. Um, I guess just put your customers first, be, put yourself in their shoes, and uh, I think your content strategy will follow. Amazing. 
Amen to that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Claire, if the listener wants to hear more from uh, from you or from a content team at Atlassian and, and get more kind of wisdom from you, is there somewhere they can kind of find you online? Sure. Um, you can follow me on uh, LinkedIn at Claire Drummond or on Twitter at Claire Drummond. Um, and I definitely post stuff on LinkedIn and on Twitter sometimes. Um, and you can definitely uh, keep up with with us there. And I, I do podcasts and stuff like this um, pretty regularly too. So if you follow me on Twitter, you'll be able to see um, what I'm up to. Oh, thanks again, Claire. That is a really helpful response to Richard's question. Maureen, there is a lot to dig into there. Did Claire say something that resonated with you? Yeah, you know, that was really great. Um, A couple of things for me in particular that I love her shining the spotlight on uh, is the first one is that remembering that we can actually talk to customers and see what they think. Um, I actually love when we see copy directly from customers, whether it's quotes um, or or whether it's you were just lifting their language and using it because I think the most attractive copy is the stuff that's going to resonate the most with customers. And and that's a a great way to get it is, is by actually talking to them. And the other thing I think it can't be said enough is is outcomes. So when thinking about all the different folks you're trying to connect with, keeping in mind their outcomes rather than your stuff, I thought that was was brilliant for her to cover. Yeah, absolutely. So you can kind of measure the outcomes that that, you, that you're looking for, but also think about the you know being helpful and the uh, the end game that your your customer has in mind. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think part of the thing in um, B2B and part of the thing I wanted to talk to you about in particular is, you know, quite how complex the decision-making unit can look like in in a B2B Mm -hmm. organization. I know this is something you have experience of. So are there particular audiences that you feel are more important than others if you're trying to move uh, someone through your funnel? Yeah, one of the areas I think we miss as as B2B marketers, and we partly miss it because it's hard, um, and we partly miss it because we're we're drowning, and that is, you know, B2B influencers. So not Kim Kardashian style, not um, who we're mostly seeing on TikTok, although those people are all great too. (laughs) Um, But when you think about growing your reach and your influence, uh, B2B influencers are huge for that because they have a trusted network of their own that if they buy into what you're promoting or what you're advancing, they will often unpaid. I don't think I've ever paid an influencer. Um, they will will scale that message, so you're really able to grow your your unpaid reach. Um, so you know, for instance, that one of the strongest B two B influencer communities that that I've seen on Twitter is kind of the CIO or the transformation influencer community. And boy, those folks are generous. And if you can be a valuable part of their conversation, you're included and you're scaled and they are then more likely to look at articles you've written or be be willing to to publish or or cite your folks as um, as trusted sources. So it's it's complicated to get there. But once you do, if you put the work in how they grow your your unpaid reach is just it's it's phenomenal and i think it's an underused channel in b2b today that sounds amazing so how where would the listener begin 
um, to find those people and begin to build those um, relationships. So for me, Twitter, for B2B influencers is is the best. I kind of think of Twitter as where the influencers live and, and LinkedIn as where kind of the real people live. So it's not it's not work I do on LinkedIn. I, I sort of <laughs> add it to it. But on Twitter, um, just start by listening to the conversations um, and start to jump in as who you are as opposed to your brand. Although I suppose you could, you know, I've always started kind of with the humans and that's what I recommend. Um, and, you know, sometimes people will engage with you and sometimes they won't. And that's not the point. Um, you know, the point is just to start planting seeds um, and hearing what they're talking about, because then speaking of outcomes, um, you can then approach them based on the outcomes that you know they care about because you've been listening and watching the space. So I would start on Twitter and I would start by listening. That sounds great. And obviously, you know, the buyer journey in in. B2B. I mean, it can take months, you know, <laughs> and more sometimes. Mm-hmm. How do you keep a um, keep your audience's attention? You know, <laughs> how's their attention span over something that long while they're going through that process? How, if you have kind of only limited resources for content, how how can you possibly cover that? Well, it's it is for me. It, the resource is time as opposed to money, mm. um, and that can be hard when you're when you're juggling the the fifty million things that marketers are expected to juggle on the regular. Um, so for me, uh, the thing you have to think about influencer relations is kind of like learning a new language. Is if you invest the time to understand it at the beginning. Uh, the payoff is just exponential in the end. Once you know how to engage with influencers, it's it's you just do it as you breathe. It takes very little time during the day, but it does take time to get immersed in the short term. And I'm not sure how to quantify that really, um, except to say it takes time. <laughs> <laughs> ah, time, the thing that we all have so much of. <laughs> Thank you. That is really insightful, kind of adds a, another layer to the um, uh, the conversation and uh, insightful as effort. I'd have expected nothing less. So uh, thank you so much. Um, before we wrap up, though, there is time for some more inclusive writing advice from Etty Bailey King. Copywriting pro tip. Use affirmative language. So affirmative terms are words and phrases that are very clear, specific and positive. It's words and phrases like saying disabled person, has paraplegia, has schizophrenia, deaf person, autistic person. This affirmative language is distinct from the kinds of negative and shaming language that you might have heard potentially in the recent past or when you were younger. So negative and shaming terms might be a phrase like um, retarded or using sort of euphemistic language about someone's disability and saying that they are confined to a wheelchair, for example. Well, it's not true and it's not accurate. Wheelchairs typically liberate people. So use affirmative language to make sure that you're being accurate and celebratory about difference. 
Thanks so much, Eddie. That's definitely something we all need to keep in mind. And listener, you can hear more inclusive writing advice from Etty next time. Thanks also to Claire Drummond and to Matt Binney for sharing your advice in this episode. And thanks to Richard Hathaway for the question. We hope you found the answer useful. Uh, And thank you, Maureen, for being such a brilliant guest co-host as ever. I hope it hasn't been too painful an experience this time. (laughs) It's always a pleasure, David. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Oh, bless you. Checks in the post. (laughs) Remember, listener, it could be your question we answer in a future episode. If you have a question for B2B Q&A to answer, email a voice memo to podcast at radix-communications.com or find us on social media. I'll see you next time for another B2B Q&A. Until then, make good content. And remember, Sun Tzu said, if you know your audience and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred blog posts. But then again, he also said, don't believe every quote you read on the internet. Goodbye.